Well, good morning. How are you this morning? You know, I uh, feel at home here. I come from a little place down in Kansas that's unimpeded by 100 years of progress. It's called Smith Center, Kansas. Uh, it's so big that a die-hard battery was actually the power plant for the town. So, you know, it, that's where I come from. And uh, when I come to a place like Imperial, I feel like I'm at home. We used to come shop in Kearney and Hastings, and that was a, that was a Saturday trip. We would all get in the pickup and come up and uh, shop and then go home. So this part of the world is uh, pretty familiar to me, and Sterling is from Broken Bow, Nebraska, my uh, colleague who's with us, and so we feel like we're kind of coming back and coming home. This morning, what I'd like to do is just take some time and uh, talk together, if we can, about, let me, let's see, uh, technology is possessed. Oh, there we go. Thank you. I'd like to start out this morning with a, um, a, a piece of Nebraska history. Is that okay with you? Bob Green from the Chicago Tribune came out and wrote a book called Once Upon a Town. Now let me tell you what this is about. This was written about a story that went on in World War II. How many of you have ever heard of the North Platte Canteen? Anybody in here? Yeah, I thought so. But Bob Green came out and wrote a book about this, and I thought it's, a, it's a really, really a, uh, a history lesson, not only that, but a value lesson for us as believers. Because when you stop and think about it, North Platte was halfway between the East Coast and the West Coast. And in World War II, soldiers were going back and forth between both coasts. About, in fact, about six million soldiers went back and forth over that time period from about 1941 to 1945. So, as some of you know, the people here in northwest Nebraska and central Nebraska got together and said, we want to meet every train that comes through with soldiers. And in fact, what they met, they met them with coffee, sandwiches, hot chocolate, boiled eggs, and, you know, just made them feel at home. Newspapers, spent time with them, and it was amazing. That 30 minutes literally created an indelible memory in the lives of many, many men who went through there. Well, in North Platte, Nebraska, I mean, it was a mission for the town. It really was, when you stop and think about it. It was a desire to offer warmth and support away from the astonishing outpouring of kindness and goodwill where 12,000 people served over 6 million GIs. Hey, that's incredible when you, when you look at it. And then, this picture, I think, really captures what went on. This was a private first class. He was from San Luis Obispo in California. And can you see that little grandmother giving him a birthday cake? Can you imagine that guy is stopped in North Platte, Nebraska. He's on his way to war. He's not sure what the future holds. And this little lady gives him a birthday cake. Incredible. Well, it was a value the food contributed during the operation of the canteen is a mere matter of guessing. But if it was a dollar a person and you had six million servicemen that went through there, it probably was about six million dollars in 1945 dollars. Now you stop and think what that would be today with inflation. It's incredible. 
So I began to think about this, and I thought, you know, that's really what we do, is we run a spiritual canteen for people. They stop, they get refreshed, they get encouraged, and they go right back out into the battle. And that's what, basically, we do here at this church. That's what we do at Transworld Radio. That's what Jesus does with people every day. Every encounter could be the North Platte Canteen. So what's God's calling to us as believers? Well, first of all, Isaiah 49.6. I thought it was interesting. On the front of your bulletin here, if you look at that, it quotes Acts 13. That's where Paul and Barnabas are taking off on the first missionary journey. And they quote Isaiah uh, 49.6. I have appointed you to be a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now we tend to think about the Great Commission being something in the New Testament. It's not. Listen, the Great Commission goes clear back to Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. And Paul quotes Isaiah 49.6 when they take off as the legitimacy for their first missionary journey. Now the Jews never figured that out. And what happened to the Jewish nation, and even today, June and I were in Israel about a year and a half ago, they're very inward focused. I mean, totally inward focused. And then you begin to think about what God was talking, raising up a chosen people. Why did God do that? He wanted to use them as an example to the world as to who he was. And they missed it. Well, he came to the Gentiles, you and I. I don't, is there anybody of Jewish descent here? I didn't think so. So, Isaiah 49, 6. And then you think of Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. It talks about enlarging the place of your tent. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, and you'll be spread abroad from the right and to the left. Now, the kingdom of God is expansionary. It is not recessionary. And when Jesus talked and gave the Great Commission, he didn't talk about, well, kind of hunker down, you know, reach 20 countries and then hunker down and maybe, you know, maybe something will happen. But Jesus talked about being expansionary. And this came alive to me when we, I was in Jordan with one of our staff members and we're out driving across the desert in a Nissan four-wheel drive and I see a Bedouin tent out here with a bunch of Mercedes parked in front of the Bedouin tent. Okay, that gives you an idea of the Middle East. And I st we stopped in, and I asked the, uh, I don't know, the king or whoever was in charge of the village, I said, what happens when, you, uh, when people get married, when you have children? He said, oh, we just enlarge the tent, and we basically make it bigger, and we make room for them. He said, you know, we put up another piece of sheet, and we basically uh, put pegs down, we, we have uh, rope that holds it, and I thought, you know, that's Isaiah 54 right there two and three. Enlarge the place of your tent. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're probably all familiar with that, where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Now that last statement is very powerful. Jesus is with us to the end of the age. You know, he's here right now. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I think as believers, sometimes we lose track of that. I'll never forget, I was a young believer, probably about three or four years old in the Lord. And I went over to a, uh, a lady in Chicago. Her name was Jody Baker. And I'm sitting with Jody, and Jody, I, I'd hate to guess how many women she trained spiritually over the years. My wife was one of those young women. And so Jody was sitting there, and it was a warm Chicago evening, and the wind was blowing through the curtains, and you could kind of imagine what it was like. And she get, brought out a cup of tea, and we sat down, and she talked. And she said, Lauren, it seems to me like you're a very ambitious young man for Jesus. That's wonderful. But you know what? 30 seconds after you meet Jesus Christ in eternity, are you going to meet a stranger or are you going to meet a friend? I am telling you, I have never forgotten that. Now, Jody met a friend because she's with the Lord. But with one question, you know what she did? She turned me from being an institutionalized believer to being a person who really realizes that Jesus is with me. It's incredible. Why in the world would we spend time in the Bible every day? Why in the world would we pray? Why would we? It's a relationship. Jesus talks to us through the Bible. We talk to him through prayer. I'll never forget when I was a brand new believer, a guy showed up. I was in a fraternity at Kansas State and a brand new Christian, and he showed up at 6.30 in the morning. I hadn't gotten up at 6.30 in the morning for years. And he showed up and said, listen, let's go have a quiet time. I thought we were going to go be quiet. Okay? I had to rummage to find a Bible. But you know what? He began to teach me how to have a relationship with Jesus, a personal. I mean, Jesus really cared about me. And that was incredible. I'd never thought about that. Are you going to meet a stranger or your best friend? Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then Mark 16, 15, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now that's a pretty expansionary statement. And if you take that seriously, that's quite a thing. And I tell you, it, but it boils down to each and every individual. For my father, he met the Lord when he was 68 years old in the middle of a wheat field. Amazing thing, it's a long story, and I won't go into how he met the Lord. He and I were talking in front of the pickup truck, and, and he asked me a question after my grandfather died. He said, now, kid, is grandfather in heaven? And I said, I have no idea. But suppose, I was single at the time. I said, suppose it was you and I, as suppose I had a son someday, and we were in front of a pickup truck, and we were wondering about you. Where are you going to be? Well, I have no idea when, he, met the, when he, he and Jesus had a personal encounter, but it must have been pretty close to that point. And I'll tell you, for the next, the entire, until he was 88 years old and went home to be with the Lord, if you would have told me that he'd be at the Smith County Memorial Hospital holding farmers and ranchers' hands who were dying and telling them about Jesus, I would have told you that you were unfurnished upstairs. Okay? You know, Jesus can change lives. Let me tell you one other family story. 
when my grandfather died, there was land, and some of you have been through this, and so who's going to get what land, and who's going to get what quarter, and who's going to get what section, and you know, and so I got to refer. I was about 20, oh, I don't know, about 29, I guess, and I got to referee the, the family fight, because I was kind of the holy one. And so, you know, we're sitting around the kitchen table, and we dismiss everybody but family members, and we sit down and we, we begin to talk. Well, I mean, the whole thing blew up. And we finally came to an agreement, but you know, they didn't talk for years. Because it went back a generation before that to the previous land fight with my grandfather. My grandfather and my great uncle didn't speak for 40 years. I mean, I went to a one-room country schoolhouse. Maybe some of you did that, but I mean, this is one of the last one-room country schoolhouses out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And at a Christmas party, my grandfather would sit in one corner, and my great-uncle and his part of the family would sit in the other corner, and like, there was like an imaginary line right up the middle, and nobody ever talked to each other except the kids. Well, fast forward, my dad had met the Lord, and he was in a nursing home. He was about 85, 86 years old, had Parkinson's disease, and I get a phone call from him, and he said, Kit, I was always known as Kit, Kit, I want you to come home. Your aunt, Jean, has died, and I want to go to the funeral. Well, the nursing home was right across the street from the funeral home. I mean, it was kind of a convenient location, you know, where people commuted back just across the street. So I go, put him in a wheelchair, and we go across, and they wouldn't let us sit with the family. Again, because of what was going on. So my dad sat in the back of the room, and he said, now kid, when this thing's over, you wheel me out to where the family's coming out of the funeral home. I want to sit and put that wheelchair right there at the door. And as people came out of that funeral home, the, the family of my uncle, he met them, he shook their hand, and he told them how much he loved them. Well, fast forward, my father is on his way to heaven. And so we had coffee and cookies, and I'll bet you, oh, I don't know, 200 people showed up to say goodbye to my dad. And one day, I see my uncle circling out in the hallway. And so we sit down and talk, and I hear stories about World War II I'd never heard in my life before. And finally, he said, well, you know, you and your dad, we need to get them some things settled. So he went in, and they were reconciled. Well, you know what? Jesus is a master reconciler. You want to know why? In Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. And then a couple verses down, it says, But you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now you have been reconciled by Christ's physical body, through death to present you holy in his sight. Jesus is the master reconciler. I'm telling you, in your family, in a rural area like this, I'll bet you there's some reconciliation that needs to occur. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus can do that. If he used my dad, who was 87 years old, 
to bring reconciliation to a family after two generations. You know, he can do that because Jesus is the master reconciler. Now, so many times we think that Jesus just reconciles us to the Lord or nations or people. But you know what? It's far, far bigger than that. It really isn't far more personal. Well, let's go on. What is TWR's calling? I think each person has a calling. I really believe that in life. You know, I've met farmers, ranchers who feel like they're called to be there. Maybe some of you are. And God's called you to be here. Well, for TWR, organizations also have callings. And our calling is to reach the world for Christ by mass media so that lasting fruit is produced. Where do we do that? Well, this is the coverage of our medium wave, which would be AM radio, like KRVN. KRVN's 50,000 watts. Our smallest station is 100,000 watts. It'd be KRVN on steroids. So that's where we cover in terms of medium wave, short wave, FM, satellite. The FM and satellite are not on there, but if you were to put little dots on there, red dots, it would be all, everywhere but North America. That basically is where TWR coverage in terms of on the air. Our digital coverage, by the way, you all have a cell phone? Uh, you ought to download the app free. It's called TWR360, TWR360, and it's free. It's free on the Android uh, store. It's free on the iPhone store, and you can download it. And you know what? You can get content there in 81 languages. Okay? And there's all kinds of stuff on there. There's video, there's audio, there's music. You ought to listen to it. We have about 5 million people a year that use that from around the world. It's coverage basically everywhere. To give you an idea, we went up and took a snapshot of our digital ministry of TWR360, and we can follow this. We have it on a screen, and you can go up and watch and see where people are checked in. And This happened to be one morning about 10 o'clock. There were 77 people, and you can see from where all over the world where they were checked into TWR 360. You know, if you know people who have a language that's not English, my favorite thing is to tell them about TWR 360 and then point them to their language that they can listen to in their own heart language. Pretty incredible. Our reach, 4.2 billion people, listeners, on the air every day. Now, if our 4.2 billion people listening, Probably not. But you take 1% of that, and that's not a bad number. 28.2 million people responded last year to either digital or on the air in 195 countries. 5 million digital responses in the last 12 months from the Internet, cell phones, and also social media. And we partner with ministries. We partner with about 175 broadcast ministries in 230 languages. I was in Swaziland, and the transmitters were on, and they were broadcasting to Northeast uh, Africa. And four languages were being transmitted simultaneously, each on a different frequency. But you sat there, and you listened to four languages being transmitted literally out 3,000 miles. And there's just something 
that occurs in your heart when you begin to see that and you begin to see the reach and what God can do with technology. Our digital ministry, we have 87 partners and we've just gone up to 81 languages. In fact, last week another one went on. Our broadcast sites, there are 20 total high power broadcast sites. And uh, these don't mean a whole lot to you, probably the Silk Road Transmitter, Pawnee. Let me just show you a few of these. You might be interested. This is our new Silk Road Transmitter. This is in Central Asia. If you're in Kazakhstan, if you're in Western China, the Uyghur population out there that the uh, Chinese government has a million of them in concentration camps, all the way across uh, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, all the stands, basically, we talked to them at night with this brand new, it just went on the air about 40 days ago. Pretty incredible, 200,000 watts. And you can listen to it on an AM radio in that part of the world. This is our Pani transmitter, which is Pakistan, Afghanistan, and North India. It is 500,000 watts. That's a half million watts. And we talk to that part of the world every night. Pretty incredible. And we, on that transmitter, we basically are broadcasting in about 18 languages every night. Now, people don't listen. They, they tune in because they know that there's a language block, and it's, it's almost radio by appointment. So if you know at 8.30, your language, you know, if it's Urdu, is on the air, then you listen for Urdu, and it'll be on the air for, you know, a half hour or an hour. But that's the way people consume product on the air in these areas of the world. This is the Oasis transmitter, which is in Western Africa, and Sterling talked about that in, uh, in Sunday school this morning, and we're recruiting people to go over there right now. We're building a second transmitter, 200,000 watts, and hopefully it'll be on the air, and it'll go into Nigeria. It is aimed right into the Boko Haram area, where ISIS and Boko Haram are killing believers. And that's a whole story, but... You know, they really desperately need to hear the good news about who Jesus is, and we have programming to the Muslim world in such a way that Muslims will listen and basically consume that programming. Two transmitters, one for Western Africa and one for Northeast from that country of Benin. This is the island of Bonaire. It's 40 miles off the Venezuelan coast. 450,000 watts. To give you an idea, when I'm in Smith Center, I was there over Memorial Day, and we have a pickup. I was out, on, I was out driving the fields, turned on the radio about 8 o'clock at night and listened to Bonaire in Smith Center, Kansas. And not only from there, but into southern Brazil. We cover that uh, every night. It's on the air, signs on about 5 o'clock at night, and uh, it signs off the air about 8 o'clock in the morning. Because, as you know, on AM radio, you can hear stations a long ways away. And so we use that technology with a lot of power to be able to talk to Latin America. This is Guam. This is a shortwave station. And we talk throughout all of Asia, all the way from Australia, up through North Korea, Russia. Uh, we have 250,000 watt transmitters, huge antennas. That's where I met Sterling. Sterling was up on these towers uh, taking care of them in Guam. And so it's incredible the stories you get back out of North Korea. 
we've put probably close to 10,000 receivers in North Korea. Now, don't tell me how we got them in there, okay? Brother Andrew's group puts them in for us, and they, I, I was talking to the guy who was responsible for the project, and he said, do you want to know how we get them in? I don't even want to know. I don't want to know how you get them in there, but it is amazing. And we include a plastic Ziploc bag with them because it's illegal to have a, trans, a receiver like that. And so they bury it during the daytime, dig it up at night, and listen to it. How would you like to have to bury your radio in a Ziploc bag and, and basically get it out, out at night and be able to listen to it? But that's the dynamics of North Korea. Uruguay, that is, uh, this station covers uh, Argentina, Uruguay, and southern uh, Brazil, as well as Paraguay at night. And, uh, of course, that's in Spanish. This is called Central Asia Transmitter West. Pretty good-looking horses in there. Of course, they have probably about a thousand acres of antennas. And how do you keep the grass down? Well, you put cattle in there, you put horses in there, and you graze it down. Okay? But those antennas back there, that's a one million watt transmitter that talks every night to the Muslim world. It is loud enough, you could probably hear that in the fillings of your teeth in beautiful downtown Tehran. Okay? It's amazing. And that was built by the Russian government, by the KGB. When the Russians built things, I mean, it was big. And since they're not using it, we're now using it for the good news of Jesus. This is called Gregropol, and it's in the country of Moldova. It covers Eastern Europe and Western Russia. That is also one million watts, and an old KGB station. Swaziland. Uh, you probably, in the middle there, you can probably see some hay bales. There's about, uh, oh, there's about 300 acres there, and it's some of the natu most natural prairie grass hay you've ever seen in your life, and so we get two or three cuttings. We have, a Vermeer, we have Vermeer balers and John Deere uh, tractors, and we basically roll it up and, uh, and sell it. It's a way of uh, helping provide for that station. We do a lot of different things in terms of keeping these stations on the air, not just donations. This is Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is down at the lower point of India. It used to be called Ceylon, British Ceylon. And some of you have Ceylon tea, and they raise all kinds of tea there on this island. But we have been uh, on, uh, on Sri Lanka now, all going on about 40 years, and that talks into southern India. It is illegal to have, quote-unquote, Christian programming in India. Well, how are we capitalized? TWR infrastructure is provided by donor income, project income, staff raising personal financial support, and allied income from operations like hay, teak, cashews, things that we basically, uh, they're commodities that we sell. So that's how it's, it is capitalized and how we operate. Why should we partner together? Well, the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And countries are closing, creating opportunities for the gospel. I mean, when you look at China, China, 10 years ago, there were missionaries, and everybody thought, well, it's going to really be great, and we can get into China, and well, it's closed today, folks. 
tighter than a drum. And it's getting tighter every day. They have facial recognition technology. And they watch you as to what you're doing. They're putting in another 2 million video cameras throughout the country, and you get a social rating. You either get plus points or negative points. And if you're in the plus category, you can travel, have a bank account, and do various things. If you're in the negative side, then you don't get to do those things. How many of you read the book 1984 by George Orwell? I mean, this is just about what 1984 is, and it's happening today, and it's getting bigger and bigger in China every, every, well, every three or four months. Russia has closed down again with Putin. India, uh, Modi, who is the uh, prime minister, has stated that they want it to be a Hindi nation and that they are inventorying all the Muslims and Christians in the country. Now, guess what they're going to do? You know, I'll leave that to your imagination. Uh, Venezuela. People are starving to death in Venezuela. Uh, they're actually being shot in Venezuela if you happen to not be for the government. June and I were down there in April on Bonaire, which is 40 miles away, and a large 757 aircraft lands at the Flamingo Airport in, on Bonaire. And one of our engineers was able to get the... Uh, the identification off of it, and it was registered to a, uh, a person in Russia, an oligarch in Russia. In other words, to take Modi out, Modal out if, if he wanted to go, and he'd end up not going because he's protected by about 2,000 Cubans. Uh, the Muslim world and more. Well, it's a cycle. They're sponsoring partners, boots on the ground in partner organizations, we have uh, planted about 6,000 house churches in India. High power transmitters, digital ministry, and international ministry networks that we operate through. What's the future of TWR? Well, the world is the target. Okay? We're out unabashedly to be a big voice for Jesus all around the world. Mass media is the vehicle, and lasting fruit is the end product. And you know, when we're with the Lord, we'll probably begin to see. But wouldn't it be great? I told the staff one day, I said, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if the last person to hear about Jesus heard it on the air? The alarm bell rang in heaven, and Jesus said, need to pack my bag, I'm going back. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I will tell you, as you read your Bible, and as I read mine, and you look at what's going on in the world today, you really wonder if the curtain isn't going to close pretty quick. I mean, people have been saying that for, since Jesus went home, but I will tell you, things are proliferating. So, that's who we are, TWR. And let me encourage you. You know, you were, you were singing about Jesus. Let me encourage you just every day, Pick up your Bible. Pick it up and just say, Jesus, what do you want me to say? What do you want to say to me today? What do you want me to do? And it's incredible how God will speak to you through the scriptures. And then just talk back to him. In fact, I keep, usually keep a little journal of what uh, the Lord's been saying. And you know, over time, it's very interesting to see the leading of God. 
And God doesn't lead in huge, big, miraculous things. It's usually a gentle tug here, a gentle tug there, a gentle tug here. And as you look in your journal, I can look back and see what God has been doing over the last two, three, four, five years. And it's incredible. God has a plan for each one of us. So why don't we pray? It's 1144. You have time to get home for dinner. Okay, I realize there's always a magic hour in every congregation. So I imagine about 1145 is probably it here. So let's pray and we'll be done. Lord Jesus, 